0: Hello everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have Beck Holland. Beck Holland, the head of FlipTheScript.co, an unbelievable thought leader in the SDR space, has
1: worked at both Chorus and Gong building out those SDR orgs. Nick, why should people listen? Well, Beck talks about hooking personalization to a value prop. She talks about sequence structure and best practices there. And then she also has some killer advice on when you're dealing with competitive situations. Three, two, one, hook you into this episode. national did you know that 60% of proposals are viewed on a mobile device, which means if you're sending a tech stock or a slide deck, the formatting is going to look really ugly and you're going to make a bad impression. Luckily, our friends at Quiller are here to help. Quiller pages are built on the web, which means they're mobile responsive and they actually look good on a cell phone. And Quiller is having an offer right now to upgrade your proposal from an ugly tech stock to a Quiller page for free. So you can see what your boring proposal looks like as a beautiful Quiller page. There is a link in the show notes to
0: rocket reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free. The link in the show notes. All right, Beck, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Okay, my first actionable
2: takeaway is that you need to hook personalization to relevance or success. So personalization for anyone out there is a one-to-one premise that you cannot send to multiple people. Relevance is a one-to-many premise that you can segment, like companies that were within the fintech vertical. And so you need to hook those two together for the keys to the kingdom of someone to respond. Beautiful. What's number two, Beck? Number two is shattering outside of the other car mentality. I define the other car mentality as basically whenever you see another car on the road, because you don't know the person, you'll cut them off, you'll go in front of them and turn right early, whatever, you'll get mad at them. But when you see them face to face, you won't do that, even though they're a stranger, because you're looking at them in the eyes. So you want to shatter out of the mindset with your prospective buyer that you are just a salesperson, and then you're pushing your agenda. So then they won't ghost you, make you drum a proposal, etc. So you need to get on that human level with them. Cool. Round us out. What's number three? Number three is accountability and humility within the sales cycle. So I do a lot of what I call classic role diffusion of where I say, like, call out what I'm doing when I'm doing it, if it's negative, like not to be the person who comes on the show and takes way too long during the three tactical tips when you just want to get into the interview, but I have something to say on X, Y, and Z. So it kind of pattern interrupts and gets them to, you know, that level of accountability or self-awareness or humility of like someone picks up the phone the call unravels because you didn't expect it to, calling them back and telling them that, like, hey, I didn't expect you to pick up the phone. How about this? You know, And I think the call unraveled from there. And they'll fight to, to pick you up off the floor. It's like, how about this? Give me the next 20 seconds, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot of people think that you build rapport by talking well of yourself, which usually it is the opposite. People think you're arrogant and they don't want to hear about you. So I, I try to lead with accountability for when someone doesn't respond, for instance, that it it was because my lackluster outreach.
0: So you talk a lot about email writing style as well as sequence structure. Let's talk about the style of the email first. Could you give us a sense of inside of your email? Like, what does it look like? What are you saying? What's the style? What's the tone, all that stuff?
2: In terms of the structure of an email, most of mine are, I dictate the number of lines, the type of line that it is, what you should include in that line and how you should hook that line. And then I enable people to be creative and personalize and use their creative juices within that structure. So, I mean, uh, the first email, for example, I usually do four lines. The first line is the premise of outreach and it's a personalized premise. You know, I noticed that you have this podcast on 30MPC. You know, I listened to this episode with Beck Holland where she drowned on about these topics. You know, one line that stood out to me was X. The second line, I try to hook that, what is relevant about my value prop to that level of personalization. And I, I round out with the CTA and a push-pull line where I say either way, such a big fan of your team, keep the good articles coming and hope you're staying safe with everything going on during COVID.
1: Beck, one thing I'm curious about, and I think a lot of reps struggle with, is that, that segue between the personalization to hooking it into the value. And so I'm curious what guidance you have for folks around that.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So that is the meat of where you, you know, make or break line to me. If you only do personalization without the hook, then people are like, you just did this so you could get a meeting. Like, I don't care that I went to AM. <laughs> like, what does that have to do with your, you know, with your product? So my tips around hooking personalization to relevance is I segment each hook line, which is the second line in the first email for me into three different pieces. The first piece of it, I am trying to tie two to three words from the excerpt in a reordered way in the beginning so that they're convinced that there is some level of hook. And I've even bolded words. It really helps them of like, hey, there is a tie here. The second piece of it, I give a leading indicator to the one thing that they care about and then the third piece, I say, and blank as a result and give them the one thing that they care about. So, you know, let's say it was like, you know, I noticed that you went on this or I noticed your podcast with Beck and she talked all about personalization and relevance and said it all comes down to how you scale it. What if you could scale quality conversations over at Carta, get more open rates on your email or get your prospects on the phone longer, you know, in the meantime and book more meetings as a result. So that's usually the infrastructure for a hook line that I do. And I start it with one of three ways by saying, what if you could imagine if you could, or I have an idea on how you could.
0: So you had you one other thing on like the type of emails. You're talking about short emails, love short emails. You're bringing in tailoring. You had a hot take the other day on LinkedIn on GIFs and on being cheeky. And we had Jeremy Levy on the other day who literally gets on and plays the guitar poorly and has a blast with it. And I know you have a different perspective on it. So what's your take?
2: I mean, uh, my perspective that that is really a style of it really comes down to style of messaging. You know, I, I am talking to and I've been trained to talk to a VP of sales, CRO, marketer, CFO, engineer, very technical rules and a lot of case are very execution heavy rules And so I knew I was coming from Texas, you know, as a very young girl trying to be in the room with CROs of, you know, post IPO companies. And it's like, I just wanted to, I didn't want to be this gimmick of like, I don't want you to give me a chance because I'm someone's daughter or because, you know, I'm selling Girl Scout cookies. I want you essentially to see me. The goal is as a peer, you know, respectfully. So it's like, I always view... I think how, part of how you garner respect is that you should lead with it.
0: So I'm curious, we, we talked a lot about the first email being four lines. And you said premise, hook, CTA, push-pull. Are the future emails any different in topic or structure from then on?
2: Yes, they're all very different for me. So I have five emails in total that I run. I do a 16-step sequence over 21 business days five emails, 10 are cool calls. So email two for me is a reply email, you know, in response to email one asking them any thoughts and the data is there, like it actually does work. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna lose my ego enough to say that like this works. (laughs) (laughs) But that's email two, email three, they're starting a new thread, they're not mentioning email one or two. And they're giving a personalization premise. And then they are asking a positive impact question of like, what are you doing to increase the open rates so you can, and then I give a positive business impact to ensure that you're going to hit your quota in Q3. So email three is, is consistent of a positive impact question and then a personalized premise too.
0: When should you be replying versus putting a new subject line, new thread?
2: Yeah. So I think you should reply only strategically. Is my opinion. So if someone turns you down, if they're a decision maker, chances are they, they might not remember, <laughs> not, not, unless you did something egregious. They might not remember. And I don't exactly want to be like, hey, I'm the girl that you said no to like seven months ago, but I went ahead and made these three changes. Like, are we good now? Like, I would just rather come in blanket. Like, there's no value add to me and in the an crude. Messaging strategy, unless you're using it strategically. So, you know, in email two, I'm replying to to any thoughts, and the value there is number one, because I'm doing personalized messaging, it's highlighting something that I did that was very targeted and it's getting a little more reach off of it. And then, and again, it wasn't my idea. And email four, I do a reply email to email three, which was highly personalized. And I respond, I reply to that email thread, because at the beginning, I'm taking accountability for the approach that it's not working. I'm saying, Hey, I read an article the other day about, you know, being relevant to my buyer, and I was convicted about the email I sent you. With your permission, if I haven't overstayed my welcome, I'd like to one more shot to earn some of your time. And then I'm going into my third personalized premise. So I only use reply emails strategically, because I do not I can't see a case scenario where it's like, oh, okay, this adds more value because I didn't respond to your first four emails. <laughs> like this makes a stronger case that I would respond. So I try and leverage it only,
1: you know, only a case scenario where I know it would more effectively drive conversion. So I'm curious, like, how do you do that? You're in a, you're in a Zoom meeting with a buyer and you're sitting down with a buyer and maybe you've had a couple meetings. You're at the point where you're negotiating a contract with them. You're talking about commercial terms. How do you insert real accountability other than saying, I'm going to miss my quota if you don't buy.
2: Yeah. So I would say a great example of that is like right near the end. Sometimes I've had the feeling and this kind of slips in with elephant in the room and classic world of fusion, A lot of the principles I, do, I have been successful for me is like right near the end. If I have a the feeling they're going to go competitive, I'd be like, hey, you know, time out for a second off record. I have a feeling you're going to go to my competitor. I have a feeling I blew it earlier in the sales cycle and I didn't follow up enough. And you had to wait 48 hours for me. And like, am I, am I nuts? <laughs> and they'll go, yeah. <laughs> they'll open up. They're like, yeah, I am going competitive. I'd be like, cool. I understand that. Like, I get it. I'm not even going to fight. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, what did they do well? So I can, I can learn for next time or uh, what did they do well in the process? So I think a little bit of that vulnerability. And again, you over-index on vulnerability and you over-index on your fall in the sword, it comes off just as disingenuous. of like, you know, I, uh, for instance, I've jumped on the zoom line with people where they're like, Hey, well, you know, I'm not as good as Beck, and you know, or whatever. Like I'm not as good as Cindy over here. So you're actually better off talking to her. I'm like, you're right. And then they'll like crack because they like, right. Exactly. They have that expression of like, wait, what? She just confirmed my thing. It's like, right. Cause you don't believe it. You'll see the responses and they'll be like, wait, what? Did she just confirm what the crappy thing I said about myself? And I'm like, because you don't believe it because it's false v- vulnerability capital. But the, true, the truth of like, hey, you're not responding because I wasn't relevant. That's the truth, you know? So I leveraged it at several different pieces of the cycle, but late stage competitive, I've done that before. Of like, hey, I have a feeling that I haven't done a good enough job here. And then they're like,
1: yeah, that's the truth. And they start opening up and giving you the real context. I want to talk a little bit about that situation there where maybe they haven't decided to go with a competitor, but I want to get your thoughts on how professional salespeople talk about the competition without just being someone who's like trying to drag their competition through mud or being a jerk. So if you're in that situation and you, you hear, hey, by the way, we're also talking to Armand. We're not sure which way we're going to go. How do you handle that situation?
2: Yeah, so most of the time, and I've been asked this, especially I've worked for companies who competed with one another. I've built both their teams, right? So I everyone thinks their competitor is like the devil. Like that's what we all think in our blood. And you know, I always say, good rule of thumb going into it, thinking about it, is what Sarah says about Sally says more about Sarah than Sally. I don't always live by the principle, but I know the principle well enough of like, hey. How I speak about someone really is a reflection of where I'm at. So usually, sometimes people would come up to me at a booth and be like, hey, how do you compete with blank? And I'd be like, hey, you know, before I go into my typical launch about telling you how awesome we are and terrible they are and how we're so much more amazing for your business uh, without knowing anything about you, (laughs) do you mind me asking, you know, why are you in market? You know, what? Tell me a little bit about your org or your role or your et cetera." And it gets me out of the competitive conversation and gives me more data about them. Because the reality is, you don't know what matters to them about how you differ from your competitor. So it's like, yeah, there's a litany of 100 reasons in your head, probably 50 of them objectively true on paper, by the way. And it's like, I don't know which one of these makes the most sense to the person. So until I have that level of data dig, I don't want to just blanket pitch because I'm shooting myself in the foot and you never know who you're talking to and who they have a relationship with. And if they're going to march back over to your competitor and tell them all the nasty things that you're saying about them. So I usually try to flip it using a level of pattern, interrupt and accountability into a conversation where I understand more about them. And it gets me off of the the competitive situation to where if I'm going to pitch on the back end, I'm going to do it in a very educated way of what matters to them, you know, in terms of my product
0: what well, most people tend to screw up is you have the T-chart in your head of all the things that Chorus and Gong, which were the two companies that you're at, could possibly differ. In. And what, what I always try to coach reps to is there are usually four or five battlegrounds that really, really matter in a SaaS versus SaaS type of battle, but you only have to win the one or two that really matter to your customer. You could be a uh, two and three and have a loss ratio in all of those battles. But if those two are the two battles that they actually care about, then you will win every single deal. And that's what people tend to screw up.
2: Totally. It's like, it doesn't matter what your product does. It matters what what problem are they trying to solve by using a tool at all. And it's like that's the thing that we are. It's like we're monomaniacal about putting together battle cards to slash down our com- competitors, and then we're like, oh yeah, and we should ask better questions, <laughs> like on the back end. It's like you need to flip them. Your focus needs to be on I know them, I know me, I know everything about me. Them, 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 them. Or you've wasted the conversation for the sake of respectfully your own ego to to talk about yourself. So it's like. You know, I I think you should flip the disproportionate, you know, ratios and say like, hey, I'll know these five, what I'm going to practice in the mirror is my pitch to them about what they did, (laughs) you know, of like how, how important it was to me, you know, et cetera.
0: So how do you, how do you deal with this when you're on a cold call or you get a short email response saying we're on gong or we're on chorus and you don't have the luxury of asking them 10 more questions, right? You're in a very fleeting interaction.
2: TLDR, if they're using a competitor, I would be interested in two main questions. Number one, first and foremost, I think people are going to guess the wrong thing that I'm about to say. First and foremost, I want to know not what their experience was. Why did they buy it? (sighs) What goal were they looking to achieve and outcome were they looking to achieve beforehand, you know, by buying any tool like that? And then number two, how has their experience been against achieving that outcome with using that competitor are the biggest two questions that I would be interested in if they tell me they're using the competitor. And I would lead with the outcome question because it will diffuse them if you're not like, how happy are you? Like scale one to 10, like,
1: (laughs) so you don't put them on the, on the defensive. I want to ask something back. Armand replies. He said, sorry, we're using X. You pick up the phone and call him. What the heck comes out of your mouth? Because he just said, hey, I don't want to talk to you. Or at least that's what I'm thinking.
2: Right off the bat, I got to diffuse the situation, right? Because they don't see me as a person. So I'd say, hey, I'm the annoying sales rep that keeps hammering you with emails that you just broke my heart and sent me this email that you're using intercom. And they're like, oh, hey, back, blah, blah. How are you? I'd be like, not that hot. You just you know, told me you're using intercoms. And I'd be like, Hey, look, I get it. And I transition. Usually the conversation unravels from there. I mean, it's the truth. I'm not saying that as a cop-out, but usually if I do it correctly, they all of a sudden, they see me as not this rep and they're just telling me the real story. And they're like, look, here's the thing. We're in with intercom. We're up on you know, competitive in you know, two months or renewal in two months. Call me back then. I'd be like, before I do, make the classic mistake of asking you, give me two questions, just two questions. What were you looking to achieve? within our comp, you know, and against that outcome, how, how have you done so far? So, you know, that's usually where I'm digging in, but if they don't crack from there, usually it's like a 95%, you know, crackdown rate is based on tone or whatever Then I'd say like, okay, like I would try to ask some questions from there.
1: All right, Beck, we hit it all. We talked about sequence structure. We talked about hooking and personalization. We talked about dealing with competitors. It's time for the final question. So I think I'm gonna change it up here actually a little bit. So we talked about a lot of best practices for salespeople within their specific role. And so my question for you today is, what is one thing that every salesperson should be doing outside of work to make them better at their job?
2: I would say be inductive thinking, be willing to be data-driven on whether an approach is working, getting you the outcome that you want. And if the approach is not working, Even if industry standard or best in practice is what you're currently doing, scrap the deck and start over with something more logical that will get you to your goals. Have the objective mindset of, is what I'm doing currently working? And if it's not working, have the temerity and the courage to try something different based on your instinct of how you think and how you think, you know, what would work and said. And then on the back end of that, be just as data-driven of does your approach actually get you the goal that you want? And If not, then like keep reinventing the wheel until you find something that's getting you the outcome that you want. And don't keep beating the same drum. Beautiful. Anything you want to plug before we jump off, Beck? I have a website. If you didn't get enough of me, I don't know how on this podcast, but if you didn't get enough of me, if you go to flipthescript.co, I have a bunch of different free sessions, you know, on all kinds of sales topics, KPI infrastructure, everything down from tactical hooks to, you know, how to pass through an MQL. So if you want to hear a little bit more, you go to flipthescript.co and it's there for everyone for free. All righty, everybody go
0: to Flip the Script. I've had my SDR team at Carta watch some of Beck's webinars. And so if I can have my team watch those webinars you can absolutely go watch a webinar. And so everybody, go watch it and hang on for a 60-second recap email. Coming up soon. Cheers, y'all.
1: Today's Deal Acceleration Cheat Code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers Today's show is sponsored by Calendly. If you're interested in accelerating your sales cycle, improving your prospect's experience, and booking more demos, there's one scheduling automation platform on the market that does all three. Calendly offers team-based scheduling, solutions and integrations for every department, and lead routing to instantly book qualified meetings from your website and match known leads to reps based on real-time Salesforce assignment. I find it really helpful when I have to book meetings with multiple people on my side so that I don't have to coordinate everyone's calendars. Get started today by checking out the show notes or Today's sales email tip is brought to you by Lavender. If you want to get more replies to your sales emails, try removing exclamation points and question marks from your email subject lines. They cause open rates to plummet. Instead, make the subject line feel internal. It should be short, one to three words, and it should showcase the topic of the email, but also be about them. We sat down with Lavender and built a sales email framework guide with emails for every step of your sales process. And there is a link in the show notes to get it for free.
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Beck Holland include number one, that first email is four lines. You got your premise, your hook with relevance, your CTA, and then your push pull. Number two, 16 touches over 30 days, multi-channel. That's your sequence structure. Number three, that second email you got. Any thoughts? Keep it simple. P.S. at the end, put something a little bit you found about them. And then number four, When you're running into a competitor, ask for two questions. Why did you choose that competitor? And how have they done in helping you achieve those business goals? Nick, what can people do to help us out here?
1: All right, so we've gotten to the point where we've had some guests that are so good, we've had to bring them back for a round two. And my ask of the audience this week is if you had a particular guest that you were like, man, I am dying to hear more from that person, send me your arm on a LinkedIn message and we'll try and get that person back on. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week.